The Data Reaper podcast is a companion which provides extra insight into the weekly report found at ViciousSyndicate.com. Join us for a deeper dive into the numbers to help you improve your Hearthstone game. Hello and welcome to episode 17 of the Data Reaper podcast. I am your host, Ridiculous Had, and joined by Nostradamus himself, we have Zacco. Zacco, how's it going? How you doing, Hat? How is it like seeing the future? Uh, feels pretty good. We have uh, plenty of interesting things to talk about. With this being a podcast episode related to the early post-patch meta and new developments. It's October 2nd right now, uh, Friday, October 2nd, as of the day of recording. The nerfs have been out for three days, and we're just about a week before our first post-patch report. Uh, that'll be on Thursday the 8th. So the nerfs that we got, well, uh, if you don't know what they are, you can actually go back to our last episode where we talk about them, but Tortolan Pilgrim got, uh, got nerfed. It no longer casts a copy of a spell from your deck. It just pulls the spell out of your deck. Uh, much like how the modern implementation of these effects work, like commencement or whatever. Um, and then also Guardian Animals was nerfed from 7 mana to 8 mana. Let's take these one at a time. Let's start with Guardian Animals. Because Turtle Mage, I think we know, the, the deck is dead. You can't. It doesn't function the same way. Yeah, so, you know, before these balance changes, a lot of people thought that, you know, a nerf from 7 to 8 is not that dramatic. Android might be able to adjust and recover and still be okay. Well, not really. Uh, this, this change seems like a fungal nerf uh, revisited. Like, Druid looks terrible. Like, Druid looks really, really bad right now. Um, and its current performance suggests it's just been deleted. Um, it's, it's pretty incredible because it really shows how the class was defined by very fine margins where you had two extremely powerful cards that were far better than any other card in the deck. And if you nerfed one of them, then that is it for Druid. And the Guardian Animals change seems to have done that, uh, for the class and it just looks pretty much tier four. And the most interesting thing is that, you know, I expected that the variant that runs Mount Settler would be able to perform a little bit better because, okay, so you, you have the Guardian Animals, it now costs eight mana, but you still have a seven mana play with Mount Settler. So maybe the Mount Settler version can recover and like present reasonable performance after the patch, but it's not the case. It's not the case, guys. Mount Seller doesn't really help. Uh, the the variant, the archetype, the entire archetype was heavily reliant on just winning games through overgrowth into an immediate guardian animals. The fact that you no longer have that option is very crippling. In addition, um, when you don't have overgrowth, then you're just done. Because, you know, you used to have these hands where you have a lightning bloom rather than an overgrowth. And the lightning bloom often helped you cheese the guardian animals earlier and still win games, even though you didn't have natural ramp. You could power spike into a guardian animals and snowball from there. 
now you don't even have that option because that only happens on turn six or on turn five with the coin. And that seems to be pretty brutal. So Druid is just done. I cannot even recommend to our listeners single list of Guardian Druid Oof. that looks playable or competitive. It just, that's it. Like Malfurion is done. And this is the second expansion in a row where one of its cornerstone cards is nerfed and then an entire archetype is deleted. Uh, the same thing happened with Fungal Fortunes where I feel like the class has recently been balanced around like one or two extremely powerful cards that were very warping, kind of like an imprisoned scrap imp situation. And then you couldn't even touch these cards even a little bit and if you did, once you did, then that's it. There's no deck. So that is indicative of a problem with Druid uh, that you might think about, like it might be food for thought in the future regarding how it's designed and whether it's healthy for it to be balanced around extreme power spikes that then you struggle to address because once you address them, that there is no class. So that's the situation with Druid. And ramp is troublesome to design. I think we've looked at uh, mana cheating in, in many ways as historically being uh, an area of concern for Druid. I mean, there's original Innervate, which is why everyone freaked out over Lightning Bloom. Uh, Wild Growth and Nourish both got nerfed. We've seen a lot of changes over the years, and Overgrowth is such a, such a binary card. Either I want to skip my entire five and six drop slot if I'm playing Overgrowth, and either I get to or I don't. And if I don't get to skip a slot that I didn't put cards in my deck for, then my deck just doesn't work. In a way, Wild Growth at 2 mana was far healthier than Overgrowth at 4. Because of this extreme polarization where you just build into the 7 mana turn in such an extreme fashion that it just warps the entire deck to be heavily reliant on it. While in contrast, Wild Growth is a card, yeah, if you had it in your opening hand, it would increase your chances of winning, but you basically what it did in terms of deck building was mostly maybe you skip the three mana turn or you skip the one mana or two mana turns mostly and have a more of a mid-range curve. And it didn't have that effect of like imprisoned scrap imp effect where it's like, I have it, so now I win, or I don't have it, or now I lose. It was more like, I have it, so now I win more, rather than what we see today, what we saw with Guardian Animals. And this whole 4-mana to 7-mana breakpoint seems to have been very, very sensitive to any change, uh, to the extent where even Mount Seller follow-up is not good enough anymore. Uh, so... That's the state of the Druid class, and I'm kind of hoping, like, it's going to be very difficult balancing and building a ramp in the future, considering that Wild Growth is no longer, like, a playable card in the classic set. Then I wonder how they're going to address ramp cards in the future, because you want Druid to be the ramp class. You don't want ramp to be out of the game. Druid needs ramp. In order to be viable and competitive, the question is: What kind of ramp cards are we ramp cards are we designing? 
perhaps we need to um, think about designing ramp cards that are less extreme, less polarized, and less reliant, perhaps, on you know having them in the opening hand and leading to this uh, imprisoned scrap imp situation. Uh, but it's definitely challenging. It sounds good, like it sounds easy in theory when I describe it, but in practice, designing these cards year after year is difficult. Yeah, it's ramp is a complicated thing, and we were actually talking about this uh, beforehand. And we look at an example of a ramp card that is a little bit healthier of something like Meyer Keeper, which was printed years and years ago. But it's it accelerates you a little bit at a later point in the game, but also if you draw late and you don't need more mana crystals, you can just have a 3-3 with a 2-2. And it gives you that flexibility without being the sort of thing of I need to jam all my ramp cards and then if I hit them all I win and I can make it up with an overflow or a UI to deal with the card disadvantage and if I miss I lose. It's There's some nuance, but it doesn't ramp you to a key point where you're skipping over large chunks of the game and having these crazy huge power spikes. Yeah, I think Markkeeper is a great example of a ramp card that never felt oppressive, never felt too powerful, and was well designed in terms of being versatile enough to be useful without, you know, being a turn four play, strictly a turn four play. So I like that uh, example, and I'm kind of hoping they um, look into cards like that in the future when they're designing ramp rather than. Uh, overgrowth because everything feels like all the other cards also feel like they were kind of built for overgrowth or overgrowth was built for them when you look at guardian animals and you look at iron bar and bog beam and uh, overflow then it gets a little bit too extreme like the entire deck is built around that four to seven power spike uh, so we'll see but for now don't play Druid on Ladder. It's kind of a waste of your time, honestly. It looks really, really bad. Um, how bad? Right now, the archetype, the aggregated archetype, barely has any positive matchups. Like, you you, you almost don't beat anything. You don't even beat Soul Demon Hunter anymore. So, that's how bad Druid is, just yeah, because I... of that one change. It's basically Bone Mare, but... To a more extreme extent, right? Bone Mirror was like a seven mana card that was nerfed to eight and then stopped seeing play. It turned from one of the most powerful cards in the format to a card that didn't see play. And Guardian Animals, I will say, it's still a good card at eight mana. It's just that Guardian Druid needed that card to be busted in order to be viable. And now it's no longer busted. So the deck is just not, doesn't function as well. Uh, that's the situation. So, Druid is dead, and we have to move on from Druid and look at other classes. And that's it. Speaking as someone that's, uh, that is not yet legend with an 11x, Zach, I'm going to do it. I'm going to play in big and Druid. And listeners, you should not play in big and Druid, but I want to put a winged guardian in front of demon hunters and watch them mouse over the card. That's what I want to do. Probably not fast enough. I'm expecting a 35% win rate at best, and also the first time I see a devolving missile, so I'm going to log out of Hearthstone. I mean, they have a card called Blade Dance. They can still deal, deal with a Wing Guardian, though I guess it's annoying. But If I am big in yeah, it, don't then, do it's a, guys. then it's a 10-12. Don't, do, don't try to emulate Hat. No. Um, no. Druid is not going to... Druid is Playing Druid will make you suffer right now. Yes. 
But clearly um, I'm digging Druid is good. Now the Turtle Mage is nerfed. So now the Turtle Mage is out of the format. I mean, we don't need to talk about the nerf, how it impacts the deck, because it doesn't impact the deck. It destroys the deck. It's The core functionality is just gone. Um, was Turtle Mage actually exerting any influence on the format at the highest level? Or is it just something that we'll go about our business uh, and watch the meta develop as it was before? Oh, no. Of course it had an influence. It definitely had an influence, especially at high levels. We'll talk about decks that were affected by the Turtle Mage uh, deletion uh, as we go through the classes, but this change is definitely relevant. So we'll we'll see how it is relevant when we, again, talk about the other classes and how they're doing. Turtle Mage is gone. It's absolutely gone, and the turtle has been flipped on its back, and he can't flick back, can't move. Have you ever seen a turtle that was... uh, that was flipped on its back, yes. it's not a pretty sight. No. So this is what's happening right now. Yep. All the Turtle Mage players are absolutely shell-shocked. It's unfortunate. Yeah. That was a good one. Thank you. Very good one. Been holding that. So, the first class we want to talk about is Druid. You kind of covered that already. Like, is there anything here in the first three days? Or is it just time to move on to something else and wait for experiments to, to come in if anyone else wants to be brave enough to try it with their ladder rank? Oh, as I said, Druid's gone. Okay. Might as well go to the next class. It's gone. So, in in set number one of this year, make Demon Hunter the best class, then nerf it so it's not. In set number two of this year, make Demon Hunter not the best class, then nerf till it is. Do I have that right? Yeah. So, you know, if you followed the report and you followed our previous podcast, we kept talking about how Soul Demon Hunter's matchup spread was so good, except for just two matchups, which were Paladin and Druid. And now that Druid is deleted, then I will say this, Soul Demon Hunter is probably the best deck in the game. Best deck in the format. Certainly at higher levels of play, where people just don't like playing Paladin, which makes it even more powerful. Basically, at higher levels of play, Soul Demon Hunter right now is almost uncontested. So, you know, people may try to build their decks a little bit better against Soul Demon Hunter, but that doesn't mean you can counter it with any deck, any other deck other than Paladin. Uh, I'm seeing some niche counters, like very fringe, that are extremely fixated, like people playing Control Warrior in order to counter Soul Demon Hunter, but that's not really going to be super impactful on the meta, at least not initially. Um, as I look at the early days, uh, fringe decks like that, it's very tough to evaluate and see whether they're actually viable. But when you look at the field, the established field, there's nothing that checks Demon Hunter other than Paladin. So Soul Demon Hunter got stronger, looks like a tier one performer, looks like it might be the most powerful deck in the format, certainly at higher levels of play. And in terms of builds, I mean, we did have an anti-Druid build, which might be less relevant right now. Though I will say it's also a good anti-Paladin build. So I'm not ready to say that the Spectral Sight build is clearly better. Because if you run into a lot of Paladin, you may still want a Mech Therid and a Consume Magic and uh, Wandmakers. They're, they're really good in the Paladin matchup too. But whatever build you choose... Soul Demon Hunter is just really, really strong. Like, unless you constantly run into Paladins, you're going to have a good time. 
Um, I choose it as the deck to play this coming week. Uh, if you want to climb ladder pretty quickly, especially a top legend. Um, personally, I, I looked at my Twitter timeline at the end of the month, and I saw so many tweets. Top 10 legend tweets about Soul Demon Hunter. And yes, when you have one individual doing well with a deck, it's anecdotal. But when you see so many, then it's not a coincidence. It's simply because a top legend people don't play Paladin. The deck is unstoppable if you don't play Paladin. And that is that. Um, Soul Demon Hunter, really, really powerful. Looks like the clear winner of the balance changes. Yeah, it's it's pretty hard to say that it's not the winner, and I've seen quite a bit of it on ladder as well. Um, it's anecdotally, yeah, it's Odin's everywhere or Arana, and really that's the only Demon Hunter deck to speak of uh, because, well, I certainly don't want to be playing Agro Demon Hunter when Soul Demon Hunter is the, is one of the best decks. Yeah, yeah, it's a big problem for Agro Demon Hunter. It's not that Agro Demon Hunter right now is like really bad because it isn't really bad. But honestly, it's fairly bad when you consider how good Soul Demon Hunter is. The gap in the power level between the two decks, which was existed before, is now bigger. And I honestly don't see a reason to play Agro Demon Hunter, especially if you're a high-level player and you're going to run into that matchup often, then it's a huge struggle. So I think Demon Hunter is pretty fixated on the Soul archetype. And the aggro archetype is very fringe. Again, it's okay at on the climb to legend, better than it is at legend and top legend, but it's still far away from being as good as Soul Demon Hunter is. And well, I guess that wraps up this class. And our next class is Mage. Now, uh, Turtle Mage, goodbye. Good riddance, I suppose, depending on who you ask. Though there's mixed opinions. Some players are talking about how it was a uh, high-skill, low-variance combo deck, and they liked having those around. Understand that perspective, but I think it's probably healthier for the game if players can attack with their minions. Uh, yeah, so Turtle Mage is gone, uh, but Cyclomage got better. And it got significantly better. And I think it's pretty obvious why. It's because Druids are gone, or they're they're going to go away completely very soon. And that gives more space for Cyclomage to thrive. Uh, it's true that Soul Demon Hunter is not an easy matchup. It's a difficult matchup for Cyclomage. But the benefit of having Druid deleted outweighs um, the con of having more Soul Demon Hunter. Especially if eventually people will wake up and play more Paladin at Top Legend. I feel like if that happens, then Cyclomage is going to be even better. But Cyclomage definitely got better throughout ladder because, you know, no druids, there are more paladins. Soul Demon Hunter okay is very dominant, but it's not that bad of a matchup. Uh, but you got rid of a big, big competition at the top uh, of the power rankings with uh, Guardian Druid being deleted. So Cyclomage has more space to operate in. And also, Bomb Warrior isn't that popular. Uh, which was the other difficult matchup for Cyclomage, which means it has definitely more space to thrive. Um, it's definitely stronger right now than it was before the balance changes. Seems to have a positive win rate now. Uh, we talked about the struggles of Cyclomage before, where it was facing this 
druid warrior soul demon hunter meta that made it difficult for it to exhibit positive win rates. Now I'm seeing that it has positive win rates uh, throughout ladder, and it's it's definitely gotten better. Regarding builds for Cyclomage, not much to talk about. There's not much to discuss regarding big changes in the builds. I pretty much uh, recommend choosing between the vanilla build with the three flex spots and the dragon variant, which I personally like more because it feels better to play. It might be slightly better right now because there's less of a focus on, you know, beating warrior, uh, which makes like the lack of like not running Jandis less important and Conjurer's Calling is might be a little bit less important um, since uh, you don't have Druid and you don't have you don't have as much Warrior as you used to do have. Then Conjurer's Calling is not that important anymore. It, it was never that important, but now it's even more uh, of a luxury. And you can always just generate a Conjurer's Calling if you need one because you'll get you'll get a bunch of looks most likely. Uh, yeah, I I think I think in terms of like, if I had to split between the variants, I would say that the dragon variant is just more well-rounded and better into uh, stronger into the late game because your reload potential is stronger and you don't you're not forced to run like a card like Arcane Intellect, which is really not good, not even in the vanilla build. I've been playing a little bit with this, and I've been surprised by how often Primordial Studies or just Drawing Cobalt lets you actually get a spell from Arcane Breath. It happens pretty regularly. Yeah, Arcane Breath is, we talked about it, Arcane Breath is surprisingly effective. In the Dragon variant, it's active far more than you would assume, considering we're only running two dragons. But also, one mana deal two damage is not that bad. And sometimes you just use it in order to generate a spell with Mana Cyclone, and that's also fine. So you don't have to always discover a spell with Arcane Breath. It doesn't always have to be activated, which is why it's a good performer in the deck. Because the average outcome of the, the card is good, is, is strong. It doesn't have to always be activated for it to be, on average, strong. And that's basically the message when it comes to the Dragon Variant and people asking, why are we running Arcane Breath with just Cobalt Spellkin? Because one mana deal two is not that bad of a floor in this deck. Yep, just killing a Battle Fiend. Sometimes you just gotta make sure the Battle Fiend dies. Yep, and there are plenty, like, in the mirror, it's important for killing a Sorcerer's Apprentice. Like, in the mirror, if you leave up a Sorcerer's Apprentice, you're just done. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's over. And you don't have removal. Right? You don't have, like, you You kind of often are forced to use double Ray of Frost to kill a Sorcerer's Apprentice, yeah. which could get awkward. And if you don't have that, then you kind of need to generate removal. So just having one mana deal two is okay. Yeah, encountering a lab partner with uh, with either a, a one mana Solarian into, a, into an Arcane Breath or a lab partner of your own into an Arcane Breath can really deny those early cram session draws and can also make the mirror match just feel very different uh, in terms of how it plays out just by having that early removal spell. Yeah, it's just fine. The card is just fine. Uh, on average, it's strong, and it's definitely worthwhile running in the Dragon variant. Yeah. Now, my concern with Cyclone Mage is Soul Demon Hunter has not really ever been a great matchup, and with it being so popular, 
Do you envision the bill changing at all over time to account for that? Um, it's just that I'm not sure how do you improve the Soul Demon Hunter matchup that much with the tools that you have available. Like, what do you do? One card that's like a slight net gain is Conjurer's Calling. But Conjurer's Calling is really bad in other matchups other than Warrior. Uh, it's not really useful. And even in the Druid matchup where it was okay, but not like... You wouldn't run Conjurer's Calling just to be good against Druid. It's not really the card to do that. So I'm struggling to find ways to make that matchup actually better. Uh, what, you're going to start running Ice Barrier? <laughs> you're not going to do that. So there is no real way to adjust to that matchup because May generally has a, a difficult time um, you know, having like it needs to have the opponent develop minions and have those minions be important for its game plan, right? It's kind of uh, a lot of people say that Cycle Mage is um uninteractive, but it actually needs its opponent to be fairly interactive with the board because you know, Cyclone turns with uh Sorcerer's Apprentice uh are heavily reliant on having things to ray of frost. Right, you need to have things to interact with in order to use the spells at your disposal, and when you don't have these targets, it makes it a little bit clunkier to use. In a deck that just ignores the board often and just smacks you in the head for nine, it's more difficult to deal with. And Cyclomage doesn't have really good defenses. You know, do you run uh, mirror images, but that just gets destroyed by Mystic? So it's not really a great of an answer, that great of an answer against Soul Demon Hunter. So there really isn't a way to effectively tech for the matchup. I will say that only Conjurer's Calling is kind of a small gain, but in the Dragon variant, you don't really run around Conjurer's Calling. There's no space for it. Yeah, and we'll see if people get desperate enough to start like running main deck Frostbolt or whatever, but I can't imagine that a single turn freeze is really going to turn the tables all that much. Yeah, I don't think so. Like, if you want a really hard tech for Soul Demon Hunter, you have to run, like, Deep Freeze, which is not a card you'd run in Cyclomage. And even then, they can just Blade Dance. So it's not like they don't have an answer to a Deep Freeze, even. So May generally doesn't really have good options when it comes to dealing with Soul Demon Hunter. Yeah, it's going to be a tricky one, but Mage does have a class that it really wants to play against. In the next class we're going to talk about, which you've mentioned a couple times, is Paladin, uh, which continues to be well-positioned in this meta and underplayed at Legend. Yeah, I mean, Paladin is now basically the only real answer to Soul Demon Hunter. Like, there's nothing really that beats it consistently. And both Pure Paladin and Librum Paladin offer answers to Soul Demon Hunter. They're both very effective. Pure Paladin is even better, but they're both... They both have pretty good matchups into Soul Demon Hunter. So if you really want to beat Soul Demon Hunter, play Paladin. That is also true at higher levels. Um, regarding the two archetypes and the comparison between them, I think... I don't think. I see that Pure Paladin is better outside of Legend, but I'm starting to see a trend with Lib- where Librum Paladin becomes better at Legend and Top Legend. And again, it's very early, and I don't want to make promises that this is what you're going to see in next week's report, but it seems to be developing in that direction. Librum Paladin could 
be could end up being the best deck at higher levels of play. Because if the meta trends that we're seeing right now continue and more people play Soul Demon Hunter, Paladin's the only answer to that. Librum Paladin has a favorable matchup into pure Paladin. So then if you want to counter Soul Demon Hunter, even though Librum Paladin doesn't have as good of a matchup against it, then it's the logical choice uh, to run. At top legend too. Like if I were a player who was looking for a finish at top legend last uh, season, I would look to try to play Librum Paladin. Yeah, the mage matchup is tough, but considering the domination of Soul Demon Hunter at the end of the season, it might have been worthwhile. Um, and really, the matchup against Mage is not that bad to the point where Librum Paladin is unplayable. I mean, right now I'm seeing the matchup be something like 60-40. Is that that bad? Not really. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a weak matchup for sure, but it's not that weak to the point where it's like unplayable. So Librum Paladin looks very promising at high levels of play. Pure Paladin looks pretty strong elsewhere. And Paladin really should be um, considered more in tournaments and, you know, high-level formats. I feel like the deck is, has was underrated already. And now that there's no Druid to answer the Soul Demon Hunter, I feel like Paladin is even more important in order to provide some cyclical effect in the meta. Otherwise, Soul Demon Hunter is just here to dominate. If people just refuse to play Paladin, there's nothing that really stops Soul Demon Hunter. So I feel like the, the class's role is even more crucial now that we're we're in the post-patch meta, in this in this new meta where there's only one thing that really checks it. Yeah. Paladin is our only Librum of Hope. Yes, we need it to we need it as the third class to really define the meta of Demon Hunter loses to Paladin, Paladin loses to Mage, Mage loses to Demon Hunter, and we've got that trifecta of classes at the very top. If nothing else, providing a tenuous balance. Uh, not to mention, some other classes might be able to sneak in there. But it looks like those three are kind of defining the meta, at least in the early days so far. It's definitely simplistic to just talk about these classes as the classes that shape the format, because other classes are very relevant. But it is true that this dynamic, I feel, is going to be very important uh, for the meta's health in the, in the near future. If Paladin continues to be underestimated and underplayed, then this cycle is its not going to be able to balance the meta very well. Right now, I feel like Soul Demon Hunter might be too good, especially at high levels, and there's not enough Paladin to answer them. Um, so I'm hoping to see some shift in the perception of players at higher levels towards Paladin and being more receptive to the class as a very powerful option to answer uh, Soul Demon Hunter. And it's not like Paladin is this class that only targets one deck, right? Paladin is fine. Has a really good matchup spread overall. It's only weak to Mage and Priest, like Librum Paladin. Those are the only bad matchups. Otherwise, you're pretty good against everything else. Librum Paladin does well against Hunter. It does well against uh, Warrior. It does fine against Rogue. It does fairly uh, surprisingly well against Rogue. Like, uh, you would think that Librum Paladin loses to Miracle Rogue, but it doesn't. It's a, it's a close matchup. So I think people should give this class more attention, especially at high levels.
Yeah, the, the litany of pure paladin losing to sap has been around for a while, but liberum paladin doesn't have the same kind of requirement on developing the board with slow on curve cards. It can be pretty flexible, and the broom really changes things. Uh, that it's yeah. not too hard to fight back on board, even when you have nothing in play. Because you have the removal options, right? You have Liberum of Justice, which is really good against, like, an Edwin or a questing adventure. But you also have the animated broomstick, which really helps you swing back into the board and, you know, win from situations where the Paladin normally loses. And sap effects are not that powerful against Liberum Paladin as they are against Pure Paladin. I mean, they're still powerful, but it's not game-winning powerful to the point where it's like, I can't deal with this class because it has this card or this effect, right, with stunners. Yep. It's, uh, it's just a lot harder to target, which makes it relevant. We've seen some high-level players do really well in the Heroic Brawl last week with Paladin. It definitely deserves attention. Uh, so, strongly recommended. And we even have Monkey Monkey himself in our Discord trying out and experimenting with new builds. Definitely join up if you want to chat with them. Yeah, we'll look closely into Librum Paladin builds and Pure Paladin builds, see if there's any updates. I cannot say right now if there's a clear way to improve um, Librum Paladin, but there probably is, and we're going, we're going to find out. Yes, we are. And uh, the more people that play it, the more data we have. So give Librum Paladin a spin. It's definitely worth time. Now... Next class is Hunter. Uh, I imagine that the increase in soul demon hunters and paladins theoretically is not great for Hunter, but do we have any update on what builds are performing here, including that uh, low-curve face Highlander Hunter deck we were talking about last week? Yeah, Hunter is still good. Uh, it still performs pretty well, both the face and the Highlander. What's interesting to see is that I'm seeing a trend against its early days. I don't want to make big statements, but it's possible that the face Highlander build is better than the face build, than just face Hunter. And the reason could be the increasing popularity of the Soul Demon Hunters and the fact that the Highlander build might be a little bit better in that matchup, which is a difficult matchup, right? But it's possible that Highlander Hunter performs better against Soul Demon Hunter, which then puts it at a stronger position overall. Um, I'm seeing a lot of promise uh, from the face uh, Highlander build. The build that we featured in last week's report seems to be performing exceptionally well. Face Hunter is still very good. It's still powerful, but obviously has issues with Soul Demon Hunter and also doesn't line up that well against Paladin either. So that dynamic could be problematic. For, for Face Hunter in the future. But as I said, still Face Hunter performs very well. Highlander Hunter is performing better and better as players are fully transitioning into the Fails build and the Dragon build is disappearing, pretty much almost gone when it comes to the post-patch meta. And it's very possible that Highlander Hunter is the build to go, is the deck to go, if you want to queue into a Soul Demon Hunter dominated meta, especially a top legend, if I were playing a top legend right now, I would recommend running the Highlander Faceless over the Face Hunter build anytime because Soul Demon Hunters over there, they're everywhere. And you really don't want to lose that matchup that hard. If you can turn that matchup from 
40, 60 into something that's maybe above 45%, then you have a much better chance of succeeding uh, with Hunter. And it's much harder for them to deal with an 8-8 on turn 7 that's smacking them in the face. It's Even if they have the Blade Dance, they have to work pretty hard for it, and they really want to use those twin slices earlier with Warblades to keep from dying to your initial pressure. So there's opportunity there for Hunter to actually be relevant into the face of still a lot of removal and life gain. Yeah, when you try to burn Soul Demon Hunter out, it's usually difficult because of Warblades and the lifesteal and, and all of their removal. But when you play Dino Tamer Brand, things kind of change. Especially if you have, like, if the Dino Tamer Brand is, uh, you know, is follows uh, a Dragon Bane, right? You play Pokémon on four, you get the Dragon Bane on six, and then a Dino Tamer Brand on seven. That's rough. That's rough. That's sometimes too much damage and too much pressure for the Demon Hunter to be able to outlast or deal with. Because he has to deal with your minions... And with the damage, with the burn that you're you're pushing the face. So that's kind of a tricky thing. When you're just launching damage to the Demon Hunter's face, they can lifesteal because they don't have to worry as much about the board. When, the, when there's an 8-8 that hits you in the face and threatens to hit you in the face again the next turn, that's a big problem. Lifestealing is not enough. You need lifesteal and removal, and that's the tricky part, and why the Highlander matchup is better. And there may still be room for the face build uh, in the meta, but as of right now, with what we're seeing, it just makes more sense right now. And you don't need double up on you don't need to double up on the face talkers anymore because you're not pressure plating and freezing trapping a Twilight Runner and a Lake Thresher. It's it, you yep. just don't need to worry about that as much. Since Druid is gone, the traps are not as important. Um, freezing trap and pressure plate were cards that particularly shined against Guardian animals. So that also could lend to the shift into the Highlander build, which is less secret-based. I mean, you still run secrets, but it's not as important to, to draw your face stalker in, in these matchups as it is against Druid. And while Freezing Trap and Pressure Play can still be relevant against Paladin, if we, uh, we could very well see a shift more towards cards like Pack Tactics and Snake Trap, just so that when your stuff gets attacked, it sticks around. Remains to be seen in the build, it's still way too early, but... There's flexibility there, and that's the great thing about running a Highlander deck is that you can always find room for a card or two. The bottom line is, Hunter is good regardless of which archetype you're playing, but there might be a meta trend right now where that especially is observed at high levels of play where the Highlander build is better because it's better against Soul Demon Hunter. And we, if there are any Hunter players out there that were trying Guardian Animals... We're sorry. We understand it is technically a dual-class card, but it looks like that's not going to be played in Hunter anytime soon. Uh, so maybe get your 400 dust back. So the next class that we have to talk about here, Rogue. Zach, is Rogue a thing again? Is this a thing now? Uh, Rogue is a thing. It's not a particularly powerful thing, but it's a class that definitely looks competitive. I think that Miracle Rogue, like ironically, Miracle Rogue was fixated on beating Druids, with like questing adventurers. But the fact of the matter is that the deletion of Druid is still helpful to the class because they're just less powerful things. There's less things to compete with. You're less pressured. Uh, Miracle Rogue does pretty well into Hunter. It does okay against Paladin. As I said, it doesn't beat Paladin, but it does okay in the matchup. It's not a matchup that Miracle Rogue hates seeing. And 
as I said before, it has like a lot of close matchups with most of the top meta decks. Soul Demon Hunter matchup is not easy, but it's winnable, especially if you're proficient with the deck. One interesting thing to keep in mind is that Miracle Rogue seems to be a deck that improves the Bomb Warrior matchup and the Soul Demon Hunter matchup. As you become more proficient with the deck, you do better in these matchups. Like, um, it kind of uh, supports the something, a theory that we've had for a long time that even skill testing decks like Soul Demon Hunter has a fairly high skill cap. We can see it's a very skill testing deck. Miracle Rogue in that matchup is even more skill testing from the Rogue side to the point where it improves the matchups at high levels. So you can have decks with different levels of like skill or like a skill cap. A lot of people obsess over oh, skill cap. Here's the word. Yeah, but there are certain matchups that could, you know, drastically change how these decks perform at higher levels. Like, there could be a matchup where deck A improves against deck B, but gets worse against deck C. And it's not necessarily, uh, doesn't support that deck C is the most skill tested, right? It entirely depends on the dynamics of that matchup. Uh, so, you could have a deck that has, like, overall against the field, an average skill cap. And another deck that's very skill testing, at least, when it comes to observing how it performs against the whole field. But when it comes to the direct matchup between them, the deck with the average skill skill cap could be the one that improves in the matchup at higher levels. You, you never know for sure. Now, both Miracle Rogue and Soul Demon Hunter are fairly skill testing decks. But Miracle Rogue displays the, improve, the greater improvement in this matchup at higher levels. So that's also true for Bomb Warrior, a deck that's far more simple to play. But if you if you manage your resources as well as the Rogue, you can do well better in that matchup. So Miracle Rogue is a deck, uh, as I said, high levels, can go 50-50 against most of the top meta decks. The Druid deletion takes some of its the pressure off of it um, and allows it to, for example, cut Cold Neophytes. Cold Neophytes are less important now. Because they only target mage, you don't need to run them against druid, so you can more um, you can run initiate uh, with a more you know you can be more relaxed about running initiate rather than worrying about the druids, and that kind of is something that can dramatically help the deck too. So miracle rogue is fine, aggro rogue, I still don't like it in this meta. I think it's. It just not doesn't line up well against the top meta decks. Yes, Druid was a matchup that it didn't particularly enjoy running into. But the thing is, it doesn't particularly enjoy running into anything right now. Like it doesn't run like running into Face Hunter. It doesn't like running into Demon Hunter, and it doesn't run like running into Cyclomage. And Cyclomage and Demon Hunter are decks that enjoyed seeing less Druids. So I think that overall, Agro Rogue hasn't really improved because of the balance changes. So if you want to play Rogue, I recommend running Miracle Rogue. It's fine. It looks tier 2-ish. Um, and it, it's okay. It's competitive. But Rogue is not like the best class or one of the strongest classes in the format. And if you didn't cut Dragon Toward Vendetta before, there are no more Twilight Runners to hit with Vendetta. Take Dragon Toward out of your Miracle Rogue deck. Should not have been in there to begin with. 
yeah, it's just a waste of time. So, Miracle Rogue looks fine, looks okay. If you run the good build, uh, I recommend running Initiate absolutely right now after Druid's deletion. I think that there aren't enough mage just to ever justify new fights. Uh, so, that's what I would do. Just run the main build in the from the Vicious Syndicate website, which is a pretty good website, by the way. I'm a fan. Yeah, it's okay. We're a little biased. So, that's Rogue Warrior. Now, Warrior has a lot of... There are, there's a lot of room for experimentation here, I guess. You had mentioned people were playing Control Warrior before, I think. Of course, we should talk about Bomb Warrior as kind of public enemy number one in this class, but there are a bunch of different options that, that people can go as well. Yeah, Warrior is kind of interesting because, you know, we, we all know Bomb Warrior is good, and Bomb Warrior still looks fine. Right now, like it doesn't seem like the Druid nerf did anything to change its fortunes. It still has a similar struggle against Face Hunter. Still does pretty well against things like Priest and Mage. Um, still has an issue against Paladin. The matchup against Soul Demon Hunter is a matchup that I think favors uh, the Soul Demon Hunter with uh, greater proficiency of play. But it's fairly close, and I wouldn't say that the Demon Hunter is hugely favored. Uh, but, you know, Bomb Warrior is, is, it is what it is. Like, there's no great changes here. There's no reason to be altered the build uh, with the change to Druid, because what dramatically alters the, the d decision between um, Skipper and no Skipper is how much aggression is there. And we don't really see an increase in aggressive decks. It's mostly Face Hunter and a little bit of Aggro. There's no reason to run Skipper. Now, there are experiments with other Warrior decks. Now, they have low sample sizes. So at this stage, uh, when we're just a few days into the post-patch meta, I don't want to make a big... I don't want to draw big conclusions. But there are experimentations with Control Warrior. Mostly, the decision to run Control Warrior, I think, propagates from Top Legend, as a, a lot of ideas come from there, where I suspect there's a really high popularity of Soul Demon Hunter, and Control Warrior is pretty effective in that matchup. Um, not to, it's not like a huge counter, but if you can go like 60 or 65 35 against Soul Demon Hunter, you're probably going to have a good time, or you have a chance of having a good time against a field with a lot of Soul Demon Hunter. The problem with Control Warrior is that it seems to be extremely polarizing. It's a deck that has like a 10 or 15% win rate against Priest, and like maybe a 30% win rate against Cyclone Mage. It's really bad in these matchups. So it's very hard to say how good Control Warrior really is when we're looking at a more diverse meta and not one that's heavily warped towards one deck at top legend, right? Once it, as it propagates to other levels of play and people net deck it, I'm not seeing Control Warrior being very particularly good. But since the meta is still in its early days and very erratic, I don't want to draw big conclusions and say Control Warrior is actually trash. I want to see how things develop. If things are really fixated towards Soul Demon Hunter at Top Legend, then maybe Control Warrior is a good choice. But throughout Ladder, I'm kind of not sure about it at all. Other, another deck that might return is Enrage Warrior. 
Ooh. And Enrage Warrior, yeah, Enrage Warrior. The thing about Enrage Warrior is we have to go back and remember why did Enrage Warrior disappear? And the number one answer is Druid. Druid made it disappear. It could not deal with guardian animals, with the ramp, with the pressure. It only had Barov in order to answer one board, and it pretty much was never enough. So now that Druid is deleted and it's gone, maybe the biggest reason why Enrage Warrior was bad is also gone. So based on very preliminary numbers, I'm seeing Enrage Warrior potentially being competitive. And when I say competitive, potentially hovering around the 50% win rate, which is a lot better than what it used to be uh, throughout this expansion with the domination of Druid and the popularity of that class. So Enrage Warrior could make its return and be relevant once again. You may not have the you know high prevalence of aggressive decks that the deck would like to see, but one of its biggest counters is gone. So I expect to see perhaps Warrior diversify. And there's also Big Warrior. The interesting thing about Big Warrior, it's another deck that's good against Soul Demon Hunter. Like it has very polarizing matchup spread. Uh, where it just folds to aggression and like priest, but it's very effective against Soul Demon Hunter. So, and it doesn't look that bad right now. It looks pretty decent overall, especially at high levels of play where there's a high fixation on Soul Demon Hunter. So, it might be an okay choice as well. So, I'm seeing Bomb Warrior be okay, be pretty good as pretty much as it was before the patch, but I'm seeing three other archetypes that might be signaling their return. I'm not expecting all of them to return, but maybe one of them could return, and that enough could significantly change the landscape when it comes to warrior decks. And diversity really helps your units. The diversity is all within the one class, uh, at least as of right now. Having to play against all these different warrior decks will give different decks a chance and also maybe provide some harder counters to some of the early initial strategies. So kind of exciting to hear that we might go back to uh, to playing Skipper and Bloodsworn again, because those cards are fun. Yeah, Control Warrior right now is also playing Skipper and uh, Bloodsworn, but for very different reasons. It's mostly to copy Cargath. But yeah, the in- we might go back to playing Bloodsworn Mercenary as it was intended to play, which is for the Warchief. Oh, for Hellscream. Yes. It's, uh, with, with Shield of Honor, that's a lot of damage out of nowhere. You can do a lot of damage out of nowhere. So it's, uh, entirely possible that maybe we're killing soul demon hunters not only by gaining a ton of armor, but by hitting them in the face for, uh, for 18 on 8 mana. That could work. Oh, or over 20, that's also possible. I like damage. Dealing damage is good. Yes. Damage is fun. You know what doesn't like dealing damage is our next class. Talk about Priest. Zach, if Paladin gets good, how is Yoinking? Is Yoinking good? Priest is good. <gasps> Priest gotten, yeah. Priest has gotten better because of these balance changes. Because you know, there's just less pressure. There's less competition with Druid gone. It doesn't need to overly fixate on that matchup. It does pretty well against um, several decks in the in the current meta. It does okay against Soul Demon Hunter. It does okay pretty well against Paladin, as we already know. Um, 
and it does okay against Mage too. It's only really annoying matchup is Bomb Warrior because unless you run Weapon Tech, you're gonna have a tough time. So Control Priest looks to be in pretty good shape, and it's one of the most skill testing deck in the format. And we're already seeing that at higher levels of play, its performance is very promising. It could be one of the stronger decks in the format. So I think that Control Priest, even though before the patch, its aggregated data was pretty lukewarm, even below par. And we did say that um, it's probably it's better than the stats suggest. Now, the stats might suggest what it actually is, which is a pretty strong and competitive class. So I think the Druid nerf did enough to give it another push and put it at a strong uh, competitive spot, even from a statistical standpoint. So control piece is good. When it comes to builds, once again, I'll reiterate what I said last week. Um, I know that Druid, the declining Druid and deletion of Druid may in theory uh, dissuade people from going full Yoink because going full Yoink was very particularly powerful against Druid. But Full Yoink is still very good against other things as well. And it's also extremely powerful in the mirror. So if Priest becomes more popular, then a card like Cabal Shadow Priest is even more valuable. I would uh, lean towards either running Full Yoink or three quarters of a Yoink right now. Wherein three quarters of the Yoink is just cutting Lazul's scheme. And either running Shadow Word Death or Holy Smite. So... 28 cards, I think, are pretty locked on. And then the other two cards, it's between Scheme, Smite, and Shadow of Death. And uh, the way I see it. But Control Priest is good. Looks uh, very successful. Highlander Priest has, is disappearing. And I think this was a trend that was, you know, already happening before the patch. We already saw that Highlander Priest was declining because it just wasn't performing as well as Control Priest. And I did say that I don't really see a reason to run Highlander over Control Priest. And that seems to be catching up with the player base as well. I think Control Priest is going to be the dominant archetype for the class. It's going to be successful and powerful and competitive. And Highlander Priest will probably um, fade away. Yeah, Highlander Priest, it feels like there's just not really a great reason to play it. There, There isn't. Yeah. There really isn't. There isn't actually a great reason. It just seems like a worse control priest in every way. You just lose the consistency, and the Zephyrus is not doesn't really make up for that. Like a card like um, Raise Dead is really really powerful, and running just one copy of it, not that good. Cleric of Scales is also a very powerful card. You really want to run two of it. You really want to run two disciples. You want to have an early game when you're playing priest. You want to be proactive. You want to have some initiative. You don't want to play too passively. So that supports the... Logically supports why Control Priest is just better. And so far, initial results, while early, uh, indicate that Land 2 Wolves is the way to go. Uh, yeah, I'm glad to hear that Cabal Acolyte wasn't deleted, nor was the class. Because I know that Priest was... It was pretty good in the early days of the meta, and then went through some shifts, but we were pretty worried when Acolyte went from 2.6 to 2.4 that just wasn't a thing and i'm glad it's bounced back a little bit yeah and now these balance changes seems seem to have 
pushed priests back into the forefront. I expect to see a lot more priests after next week's report uh, because I think that even statistically it's going to impress. And especially if uh, if Warrior gets better and then Rage Warrior and Control Warrior improve, uh, play Galakrond. Play Priest Galakrond. You'll be, you'll be happy you did. I mean, it's pretty nice if people play more Control Warrior because that matchup is so free. You can sleepwalk through that matchup. It just... It's it's really bad for the warrior. So getting more free wins is pretty good. And Priest uh, really likes those free wins. Emotes, turn three concedes. That's the way to go. Yeah. it's uh, it, There are rarely matchups that are 90-10. But when you see them, it's uh, you want to be in the 90 side. It's a little math. A math tip. Um, Absolutely. Okay. Well, we've got two classes left, kind of. Once again, the last class is not Shaman. Zach, is there promise for Thrall? I will say this. It's a bit unfortunate for Shaman because Druid deleted means that it actually loses one of its better matchups. Like, Total Shaman, the reason to play Total Shaman was to counter Druid. But Total Shaman is also good against Priest, and if Priest becomes more popular then there might be hope for Totem Shaman. I will say this, Totem Shaman still kind of looks like below average. It doesn't look great, but it doesn't look terrible. I don't think that the changes, the deletion of Druid, will end up being a net loss for Totem Shaman. It seems to be that this will be like a, a wash like a change that won't really affect the class. And that means that Totem Shaman is playable. It's competitive. It's okay. It's not dead. It's a bit unfortunate that the play rate of Shaman is so low. And it is quite low. And I think that um, players uh, may want to play it a little bit more, try it a little bit more. It's, it's, it's definitely better than what the play rate suggests it is. But it's not particularly great. And it's probably gets worse at higher levels of play because the meta there is a little bit more hostile to the deck. Um, you don't want to run into Cyclone Mage when you're running Totem Shaman. And Soul Demon Hunter is also a matchup that you don't enjoy. So against the very top of the meta when it comes to play rates, these decks are not decks that Totem Shaman wants to run into. Totem Shaman will be hoping to see more Priest, which will create more Bomb Warriors to answer the Priest, because that's the way Warrior answers Priest, by running Bomb Warrior. And that kind of dynamic, if the meta trends in that direction, that's when Totem Shaman could come in and be a little bit stronger. So look for a Rise in Priest, which leads to a Rise in Bomb Warriors, that's when Totem Shaman might get better. But if the meta stays fixated on Soul Demon Hunter and Cyclomage, then I see there's less optimism when it comes to the Shaman class. But regarding builds and things like that, very difficult to say. For obvious reasons, the play rate of Shaman is too low. I'm hoping that we'll be able to provide some insights on the Poket build next week. And is that the only Shaman deck uh, that we're really seeing numbers on? I guess there's, just, there's not a lot going on. I found this super weird Overload Initiate Aggro list that actually did kind of well for me into Druid, and now that Druid's gone, I expect it'll be bad. Yeah, other Shaman decks don't really exist. 
they don't I mean they exist but they don't look they look pretty bad. They look like tier 5 territory. So that's so far. So far I haven't seen anything that suggests that shamans uh other archetypes will be relevant. Uh but totem shaman is okay. And then is there any hope for our friend Gul'dan? Is there anything here? No. Oh. Warlock is like Warlock looks really bad. It's barely played, and from the low play rate, you can tell that it looks pretty bad. Hopefully, things change, but I don't know. I mean, Zoo Warlock were kinda, was kind of hoping for a buff, and then maybe, you know, we talked last week. I said, maybe we buff Zoo Warlock so it can answer Druid. So we didn't buff Zoo Warlock, and we deleted Druid. So why is Zoo Warlock, why does that deck even exist? And the answer, it really doesn't actually exist. So looks pretty bad. It needs like some really weird meta changes in order for it to be good. I don't know. Maybe like a 40% priest play rate will help it, but other than that, it looks pretty grim. And I don't see anything particularly promising with the class. It's probably stays in the dumpster. But it has a new friend, Malfurion. <laughs> Joins the dumpster. It's Uldan and Malfurion, life and death, the true odd couple of Hearthstone. Uh, just chilling down there in the 40, 42% I'm not sure that's rate. ever happened. Where Druid and Warlock are in the dumpster together? No, I don't think that's so. It's so weird. I don't think that's ever happened. I can like, think of a bunch of times where Warlock was in the dumpster, and I can even think of a couple where Druid was usually after nerfs. Um, yeah. I can't really but think together, of Together, I think that's bad. a rare sight. Yeah. That's I'm pretty sure much I'm pretty sure that's never happened. So cool, maybe not so cool. Um it's a bit unfortunate though both of these classes, the problem with them is they were pretty much centered on one or two really, really powerful cards. And that led to a very polarized experience into playing against them, which drew a lot of complaints, which kind of forced Team 5 to nerf these highly polarizing cards, but then that killed the archetypes because they were balanced around the, these cards being busted. So that kind of... The conclusion here is we want to build... We want to design and craft decks that are not polarizing in terms of uh, the power level of the cards. Where the Well, the cards of the cases were... Healthy archetypes are archetypes where there isn't one card that's just super powerful compared to the rest. Because that leads to a, a difficult balancing problem where do you nerf that card because it leads to like unfun experiences where the opponent says, oh, he had the card, so now I lose. Or do you keep it in order to keep the class viable? Because if you nerf the card, that deletes the class. So that's definitely a problem when when you when things when archetypes like uh, uh you know overgrowth druid guardian animals druid and dark glare warlock come into the forefront of the meta and then you're just in this difficult decision where you kind of feel like you you have to nerf these cards for gameplay reasons but then you lose a lot of diversity in the meta and now people just don't play druid so you experience less things and i think that generally experiencing less things even if these things are not that fun when they're too popular 
is is more likely to lead to a more stale meta because what we're seeing right now with Soul Demon Hunter being so dominant because there's no Druid to check it. So players at high levels refuse to play Paladin or are just very, very slow to pick up this class and now Soul Demon Hunter is just uncontested. It just leads to these um, stale experiences or potentially deadlocks, dead ends in the meta where things are just stuck. And then people play weird stuff like Control Warrior in order to counter Soul Demon Hunter instead of just playing a good class against it. And there's really this very subtle distinction between a card that is meta-warping and a card that is meta-defining, or a class in that case. When something is meta-warping, it restricts creativity. But when something is meta-defining, it almost enhances it. Because you couldn't really beat Skull and Entain on 5 is the most extreme example I can think of. Right, You were just playing Demon Hunter. And even after that first round of nerfs, you had to play Demon Hunter or Enrage Warrior, and that was really all you could do. Uh, that that was meta-warping by every definition, and more nerfs made more decks viable. But Guardian Animals was meta-defining and strong, but not something that you couldn't beat, just something that you had to work for. And it's okay for there to be cards in the meta that you have to work to beat. As long as you can do something about it, and as long as you can compete then you actually want some powerful cards so that people can say, all right, I know I have to beat Guardian Animals. What strategy do I go for? And having a clear target makes it easier to come up with a deck that achieves that. We had so much diversity in early Skolomance. I'm not saying that I loved the play pattern of the the early cards that needed to get nerfed. I'm glad they hit Kael'thas, for example. Uh, Elusia, I'm glad that that didn't come down on turn two anymore. But now we're, we're nerfing cards like Guardian Animals that are meta-defining, and it just takes away an options, like you said, whereas we don't know what's going to fill that void. We don't really know what's going to step in, if there's anything, or if we'll just have a less diverse meta overall. That is a very good point, because when you look at, actually an excellent point, one of the best points you've ever said in this podcast, huh? because Thank you. You look, at, you look at Agro Demon Hunter and Enrage Warrior and Ashes of Outland, and they definitely restricted what was viable. Guardian Druid was problematic in terms of the play experience, and it definitely, you could argue, and we said it also just last week, that Druid was a little bit too comfortable. Its win rate wasn't high, but it was just very difficult to target, to provide an answer to. But it never really restricted, restricted options of other classes. Like It's not like you couldn't play Mage because Druid existed. You, it's not like you couldn't play a certain class because Druid existed. It didn't restrict the existence of other strategies. It was just good and competitive and was there, but it never hurt the diversity of the meta. So it wasn't limiting in that aspect. Um, but yeah, it's it's difficult because, as I said, it's a difficult decision where you, got, you kind of feel forced to nerf Guardians. Like, I totally understand why they did it. When they announced that nerf, it made sense. It makes perfect sense because the card is just super powerful and far more powerful than all the other cards in the deck other than Overgrowth. And when it comes to future design and future expansion, it's just going to be a card that chokes out the potential rise of other archetype within the class. What it didn't do was choke out the archetypes of other classes and other strategies. So... It was. They were definitely in a tough spot, and I, I, I think that they didn't expect the nerf to be that crippling. I didn't expect the nerf to be that crippling. 
But here we are. This is the situation, and hopefully we will all learn from it that when you have imprisoned scrapim situations like that, there's no real, there's no win-win. There's no outcome here that's a clear winner. You either leave the card up, keep it as as it is, and, you know, just take the fact that you have this very polarized deck that is highly dependent on drawing one or two cards in order to win, which leads to some negativity and complaints, or you nerf the card and you pretty much know that if it's that powerful and more powerful than every other class in the deck, every other card in the deck, it's going to probably kill the deck. And then you have to wonder whether that hurts the diversity and the options that players have when they want to queue up things on ladder. So definitely difficult, difficult decision. And hopefully the, the conclusion here is let's try not to design polarizing cards like that. They're just highly dependent on being drawn on curve in order to be very, very powerful. And they lead to like warped deck building where just forget about a turn five, forget about turn six. We're all about the turn seven. We're just going to build the whole deck around that. And we went through that. And that leads to less counterplay options, right? It's very difficult to target Druid because of that. Because if they have the nuts, they're unstoppable. And just a negative experience. Even though, as we said, Guardian Druid wasn't that powerful. Its win rate wasn't particularly high. So it wasn't a balance issue. It was more of an experience issue. Yeah, and there's a lot of the win rate with Guardian Druid you're seeing. It's The win rate wasn't that high because maybe the Guardian Animals games were really good and then the games where you don't get Guardian Animals or Overgrowth were really bad. And that kind of polarity will even itself out. You get like, you know, just a lower average win rate. Yep. You know that power spike is pretty crazy. Sometimes Druid just loses to itself. Sometimes yeah. you just draw three beasts and you don't have ramp and the game is over. Uh, that's not particularly great to have, right? But sometimes that's the only thing you have. And if you nerf that, then there's no Druid. So the question is, do we want Druid to be this slightly annoying, irritating class that has a polarizing experience that leads to some complaints? Or is it better just to not have Druid? Um, I'll that's leave that kind to of you. A, that's a it's larger a design question for Hearthstone's history. Uh, Druid decks have not typically uh, made people a lot of friends on the ladder. The play pattern of the class historically has been about doing something before you're supposed to be able to, uh, or playing Spreading Plague. And neither of those are particularly good at at making friends on the ladder. It's mostly about ramp, and ramp is very difficult to balance. I actually think that Wild Growth was the most balanced ramp card they've ever designed. Uh, maybe things like Mire Keeper is a good example. It's just very difficult to design good ramp cards that don't lead into the overgrowth problem. So yeah. maybe Jade we'll Blossom. See what they have. Like Jade Idol kind of had its own issues, but Jade Blossom was just the right amount of. I'm paying a little bit more, and I'm getting a little bit more. Um, I think I think Jade Blossom was like Jade Blossom was powerful. <laughs> it was, it was definitely more. Card. It was more powerful than Wild Growth. Definitely when Jade Droid was up uh, and about, it was a very high win rate card. Not as high as uh, Overgrowth. I think Overgrowth is even more extreme in that regard. Uh, but yeah, it's it's tough to balance uh, ramp cards. Tough to balance and design. Challenging. Yeah. And 
But to proactively answer the question of, well, then why do they keep doing it? Because ramping is fun. Ramping is a fun thing to do. And when it's done right, it's it, Druid can be really enjoyable to play with. It's just, it's very tricky to get exactly right. When it's done right and there's enough tension in the meta to counter it, I think it leads to a very interesting experience. Because you're kind of, uh, there's this tension of, we want to get going early against the ramp and punish the passivity. I think that's an interesting interaction. It, when When ramp works, it works very well. And I think we were close to that healthy tension in this meta with, you know, Miracle running questing adventures and stuff like that in order to punish the overgrowth. But overgrowth guardian animals, I think, was just too much. Maybe if uh, guardian animals was eight mana, as it is right now, but other tools of Druid were stronger, it would be less reliant on that particular follow-up. Uh, but that is not the case right now, and we have to deal with a class that's just deleted. But again, it just seems like Druid gets nerfed to deletion, right? Same thing we had with Fungal Fortunes. Also a very polarizing card. It got nerfed, Druid was deleted, then they <laughs> printed Guardian Animals and was back, right back. So the question is, do we design another of these one-card solutions... That becomes extremely powerful and again gets nerfed a couple of months later and deletes the class again. Or do we try to make Druid a less of a polarizing experience? Yeah, it's uh, it's not easy to do. And Nalthirin has typically been resistant to healthy nerfs. Um, again, Spreading Plague survived, but I don't know if I'd call anything about that card healthy. Ugh, I don't miss it. Uh, well... So this looks like the wind down of our meta report. Now it's really, really early on, but we talked about when we talked about the difference between meta defining, meta warping. Guardian animals was meta defining to a degree. Do you foresee strategies rising up that really just couldn't handle guardian animals that are capable of being resistant to the key strategy now of Soul Demon Hunter? Yeah, so as as we said earlier, I think Enrage Warrior is a deck that might rise from the ashes. The yeah. problem is that, um, you know, this early in the meta, it's fairly difficult to conclude how a low sample deck is going to do, how it's going to fare. Like when you look at like three days, first three days of, of a meta. Yeah, just too early. It's very, it's just a bit too early. You can see some signs, but you cannot really say anything uh, for sure, which is why you should look forward to the report next week in which we will have more definitive answers to some of the more low popularity decks. Even if they're not in the power rankings, we might be able to estimate where they belong. And usually we're pretty good with our estimates. So look forward to that. The full report, again, nothing really replaces the full report. A podcast is nice and you can get some early insights that could be very useful. And some of these insights will stick to next week. Uh, but when you have a full report and full analysis and a far larger sample size, then you see the whole picture and you often see surprises. There were plenty of times where we talked in the podcast about the early impressions of the meta. And lo and behold, in the article itself, a week later, we saw new insights and new things. So look forward to that. It should be a very interesting uh, report on October 8th and we'll see you then yes and that'll end our episode for this week so thank you so much for listening uh, really big shout out to all the folks that have joined 
Fisher Syndicate Gold, and the Patreon uh, to get Zach's updated to the Minute Musings in the supporters channel and to get access to the live data. I'll tell you, the live data is, uh, the Gold app is very interesting right now to watch the shifts from, well, minute to minute if you refresh it as often as I do. So we'll be back next Friday uh, on the 9th. The report will be here next Thursday on the 8th. Big thanks as always to Steven Sensei for the intro and outro and, uh, and have a good weekend. The Data Reaper podcast is an official production of Vicious Syndicate. Don't forget to sign up and contribute your game data to improve the quality of the weekly Data Reaper report. Instructions are available on our website, along with lots of other weekly content at viciousyndicate.com. Thank you to all of our patrons and data contributors for proving their strength in numbers.